Hey everybody, welcome to episode 11 of Finding Extraordinary. Before we get started, I want to give a little love to our sponsor, Strong Coffee Company. Strong Coffee brings that specialty coffee experience to consumers in a healthy, done-for-you premix powder that includes instant organic coffee, grass-fed collagen protein, and MCT oil powder to fuel your mind and body for hours so you can spend more time and energy on the important things in life. No brewing, no blending, no bullshit. Guys, I love this coffee. I drink it all the time. And you can go to strongcoffeecompany.com to get 15% off your order using the code SETH, S-E-T-H. Again, get 15% off your order using the code SETH, S-E-T-H, at strongcoffeecompany.com. Now let's get the podcast started. For me, um, it was all about testing different systems to build the lifestyle that I wanted for myself and building a life kind of by design as opposed to being reactive. Um, so coming all the way back, I just think it's really important that we, we are proactive about identifying our uh, passions, and our goals. If you don't know what they are, then that's step one. You know, go out and start looking and be curious. Once you find them, dig into them because when your emotions are involved, now you find your drive. That's the fuel for the fire. Uh, building out the process, it's going to be peers, uh, friends, mentors, people who can help or walk that path before. Now you already have the fuel for the fire. They're going to teach you how to make it. And then having that endurance to push through uh, and continue to identify um, what you want to build and where you want to go. And it gets easier as it goes. <laughs> and because you start to fuel your, you start to experience these wonderful things You're like, wow, I'm so glad I've achieved this goal or I've gone in this place. My next guest is none other then Keith McBride. Keith is a serial entrepreneur and he runs his own financial wealth management company. He's also a philanthropist and he is also a perpetual adventurer and explorer. Keith has been to so many places, hiked some of the most extraordinary mountains and peaks in the world and he talks about it in the podcast. But most importantly, Keith is the guy who sets a goal no matter what it is, and he achieves it. In this episode, we talk about how to achieve a goal. We talk about pursuing and reaching the seven summits, how to create passive income. Then we talk about how to move forward even while others close to you don't approve. Then we get into the Explorers Club, what it is and how to become a member. We also talk about an expedition and what it's like to go on one. And finally, we talk about Keith's pursuit to summit Mount Everest. Let's get it started. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. 
Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Keith, welcome to the pod, brother. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Um, I've actually been really, really excited about having this conversation because as, as you know, but I'll share with the audience, we've met a couple times, but I've refused to have you tell me really about your experiences and yourself because I didn't want to know. Right. I, I wanted it to be kind of like awe and shocking, you know, to hear first person on the podcast. So I, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like, hope not to disappoint. Oh, I, you won't. I'm, <laughs> I promise. I'm, I'm just super <clears throat> pumped. I'm really excited. So, um, I think what, how we should start is why don't you give the audience a little background about who you are and, and what you do? Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm Keith McBride from the Pacific Northwest, born and raised in Washington state, a small town kind of between Seattle and Canada. Um, and then uh, came down to the big city of Seattle, then moved to LA, uh, kind of a philanthropist, entrepreneur, um, adventurer, work in wealth management and finance as a career, uh, but kind of a perpetual explorer and serial entrepreneur. Now, what part of that is your favorite part about yourself? I think all pieces make up who I am, but my passions, just uh, kind of adventure, exploration, life learner, um, pushing the edge and discovering more about this world and people and the depth of relationships and kind of the miracle that is us and here in life uh, is what really gets me going. Awesome. Um, so you know the, the whole reason for this podcast is to find out how to find your extraordinary, mm-hmm. whether that be you as the audience member, how do you find your extraordinary or, you know, let's, let's dive in to you, Keith, and, you know, let's understand how you found to yourself to be absolutely extraordinary. And that's what I'm super interested in. I'm interested in finding out how your mindset has developed to let you take on opportunities that either big or small allowed you to accomplish what you have done. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to start in the exploration phase. <clears throat> Once in our previous conversations, you said that you're, you're, you've just been very curious, right? Like curious into many different things, whether it be business, um, learning, or uh, going and traveling. Mm-hmm. Where do you think that kind of came from? Well, I believe that it started somewhere around kind of middle school, high school, and some of the experiences I was having only to be reminded by my wonderful mother that it uh, started <laughs> at a much younger age. So, um, I was finding things in old, you know, stuffed away filing cabinets and whatnot that was like a ripped out cover of my second grade Spanish book of Machu Picchu, not knowing where it was or, or what it was and writing on the back, someday I'm going to go here. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of asked her, you know, where did it all start? And she's like, you know, you really have been drawing, you know, pictures and dreaming about scuba diving and skydiving and exploration and world travel since, um, as young as I can, or as, as she could remember. And... Um, frankly, I think really where the beginning of it all was is, um, you know, being raised without the internet and not having cell phones for immediate contact and no major technological distractions, uh, living up in a place that had tons of outdoor experience and opportunities, um, for skiing or, you know, whatnot. We were, um, forced as kids to play in the woods and build tree houses and come up with adventures and had the freedom to kind of do that uh, with all of our spare time. And, um, I'm really grateful for kind of coming from a place where creativity, imagination, and getting outdoors was the fundamental of, you know, factor of, 
you know, years probably up until at least middle school. Oh, wow. The introduction of uh, the pagers and girls and all the wonderful distractions in in the (laughs) world. Uh, You start getting out and um, embracing technology and whatnot and kind of being, again, part of that era where now all the things you'd kind of thought of and dreamed of were fresh off the press. You know, the, the very first really neat, you know, shows uh, were coming out on TV, your ability to use technology to find um, incredible places and neat ideas and um, having, it really does help that I had two uh, fifth grade teachers as parents, so they were very pivotal in the the learning and inspiring of kind of the young minds and supporting creativity and ideas, uh, which is neat, but I would say that's kind of where um, it all started, and I, I think when you get excited and look at the back of a Frosted Flakes box and, you know, there's astronaut school somewhere in a place called Florida and you're a little kid. You may not ever be able to get there, but um, maybe you can. And having that support from from parents or mentors that say, hey, dream big and start learning the fundamentals of how to build uh, towards those goals and what you need to do to accomplish that and actually take the time to map that out. Um, and I think that process really is the breakthrough um, where our dreams meet actual reality. Yeah. That's pretty neat. You said something that uh, take the time to think those dreams over, map it out. Mm-hmm. Is that something that your parents taught you when you were younger and that you kind of focused on, if you can remember? Uh, yeah. In fact, it um, kind of a real step-by-step education. Uh, having teachers for parents, it was an outline um, process of just taking the goals that you want, writing out what they are, breaking down the timelines to achieve those, having a big enough goal uh, that's the really big dream, and then breaking that down into really obtainable and calculatable, or at least you can track each step of the way uh, to achieving that goal, and then doing it, and actually following through that process um, so that you, you're you getting those small you know, uh, bits of positivity and feedback and accomplishment along the way, and then you really can start seeing how you're pushing towards that, that bigger vision, and then just repeat, 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 and if it's personal goals or uh, sports or really just anything you can think of or dream of, you can apply those. And now you have a process, a fundamental framework uh, to accomplish what it is that you're after. And so now it's just about, yeah, you have to bring the tenacity, you have to bring the hard work, you have to bring the passion, you have to be willing to get through and endure the process. But whatever the dream is, you now have a framework to stick that that goal into and and, uh, go after it. So when you bring up this system that you've developed and it didn't just come from from nowhere, this came from you as, you know, from growing up. And I'm sure it served you in everything that you do. What would you say that system has allowed you to do? What's like the biggest thing you would say that system has allowed you to accomplish, whether that is starting a business or like, I don't know, reaching hmm. the highest mountaintop. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to kind of pick favor to the largest, I think. And, and also, I'm in the process of so many things still. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that the encouragement and the process and pushing things through that and coming out at the other end with a positive goal and something you're proud of and something that makes a difference and served a purpose um, – that, that all of those micro achievements kind of growing up, uh, whether it was competitive sports, whether it was something that you really wanted or a grade in class or something, as you progress and use that and you break out into the open world um, as, a, as an adult, you can apply that to just about anything. We're really blessed here 
where we've grown up and in this country to really have the sky's the limits and a, mm. a place that supports that, which I'm very thankful for. Um, I think here more than any place, you have the opportunity to really make absolutely anything come true. Um, so applying that, I've, I've had an amazing opportunity to have the confidence to walk in and start a 501c3 nonprofit when I had no idea what to do and didn't know anybody in the industry. And just the not having that be a barrier, walking right into Barnes and Nobles and buying, you know, nonprofits for dummies 101 and starting to read and then reaching out and talking to anybody that had one. Um, came down and had a client uh, in the financial firm, uh, and a client of mine that was a nonprofit individual that ran, wrote the grants and whatnot inside the organization, a successful organization here in Los Angeles, and uh, turned and was just excited to help, you know, people that are passionate about that same project. And so all of a sudden, something that I had no idea about, um, not only did I have a framework with the books and the, and the education, but uh, people that wanted to get involved, and that's led to uh, climbing the seven summits, um, or in the process of, and uh, some of the most amazing adventures I've ever had with now a very close, what was a professional relationship that turned to a very close friendship, and some of the most amazing personal, you know, moments and times, and an unbelievable um, opportunity to reach out and do projects on each of these continents uh, with this example, um, which has led to, uh, again, amazing experiences that I never even could have, you know, known about it when we began. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, kind of, I think the nonprofit world um, is exciting for me, and so being able to apply hard work and uh, networking and uh, setting goals and adjusting those goals and working through has led to um, wonderful adventures and amazing successes in, in the business world and business of wealth management and finance um, in the nonprofit world, uh, getting involved in conservation and the five fourths of Central America and what's happening down in South America. Um, it's just been an absolute phenomenal ride, Man, uh, along with the friendships and the relationships and the and whatnot that come from that are so valuable. And yeah, could go on. <laughs> 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 now, nah, um, and we want to hear. We want to. We want to keep hearing more. So you mentioned the seven summits, and there, oh, there's so much I want to pick from what you just said. But let's start with the seven summits. Okay. For those who don't know, what are the seven summits? So the seven summits are the highest peak on each continent. There are a couple arguables, and so um, Mont Blanc in France and Elbrus in Western Russia kind of compete. Um, I think the majority of people would say it's Elbrus. Uh, there's a, a very strong group that believes it's Mont Blanc. Um, there's another arguable down where uh, Karsten's Pyramid in Papua New Guinea and Kosciuszko on Australia's main continent kind of compete a little bit. But generally speaking... Seven summits are Vincent down in Antarctica, Aconcagua in South America, Mount McKinley are now uh, renamed back to Denali, uh, up in Alaska here for the northern uh, North America, and then in uh, Mont Blanc or Elbrus uh, over in Western Europe, mm -hmm. uh, Everest and Nepal kind of on the eastern side, uh, Karsten's Pyramid again in Papua New Guinea and the Oceanic Continent. So they are not not the seven highest from top you know down, but they're the largest on every continent. Right. Mm -hmm. What does it take for you to say, hey, I'm going to reach the, mount, the top of the seven summits, each one? How, how did you decide you were going to do that? Um, originally, I believe 
having access to the outdoors, Boy Scouts, snow caving and whatnot, led to kind of a, the outdoors isn't really scary. I can sleep outside. I can camp and whatnot. So I had a, a, com- a baseline, very um, naive beginning, which was a humble beginning um, of outdoorsmanship and whatnot. Then I actually attended a talk from someone that had summited uh, Mount Everest that came through my small town of Bellingham. And uh, I got to look at the gear and touch, you know, this ice axe that just looked so amazing and look at all this equipment and hear the stories and and hear first-person accounts of the trials and tribulations of high-altitude climbing and whatnot. And at that age of my life, uh, being there and seeing, I was just drinking in every little bit of information. And of course, to my personality, the adventure and the thought was just out of this world. So I think that that led to a, a childhood desire to begin to climb and explore, uh, getting outside, being in a place where I could get access to some of the outdoors and start learning was there. But ultimately, um, I was doing writing papers and doing projects in grade school on, on Mount Everest and what it took and was just fascinated by the topic, um, especially after that talk. And so um, <coughs> that led to a, a good buddy in my going down to an REI and uh, spending about $350 renting everything because we own nothing and going to a mountain without a clue about anything and starting to walk up it. Um, that's where the, the learning journey began. <laughs> and I want to cut you right there. I want to cut you off right there because a lot of times people hear about the unknown and that scares them. And we've talked about this before. Some humans and, and the human brain love familiarity. They, they want the things that they know about and, and that, um, that they recognize. Correct. But when it starts to get scary is when you explore the unknown, when you don't necessarily know what's coming next or what to do next. But in, in things that you've done, and even in this example, literally buying, buying gear and just going up the mountain, you have no idea what that's going to be like or, or really like what to do. What drives you to do the, to, to really explore the unknown and, and walk into the unknown confidently? Mm. I believe that small kind of micro steps in the beginning, you know, uh, being willing to uh, go somewhere you've never been, just, just get on the airplane and try it. If you've never traveled by yourself, book that first ticket. Um, th- that take, a, take what you can do or the whatever level, it doesn't matter if it's big or small, and pr- and try one, two, or three times. Don't try once, maybe not even twice, and sometimes th- you know it might take three or four, but you're going to have an experience that is going to be so amazing and incredible, I feel. Uh, you're going to learn something. You're going to meet someone. You're going to see a culture. You're going to grab a new interest, um, an experience that is going to be fascinating. It's going to be amazing. And once that happens, it's like, well, gosh, if I never... I'm really glad that one person said something that made me book that one ticket, or I just was really not sure if I was going to do that, but I was encouraged to, or whatever gets you across that line, try that a couple of times, Mm -hmm. because I assure you, once you start exploring, you know, this earth and the miracle that is nature and some of these places, um, we can see it on Instagram, we can see it online, we can hear it from other people, but until you're breathing, touching, feeling, smelling, tasting, um, the world, um, you don't know what you're missing. And I think for me, having gone out and had a, a few of those experiences and being willing to kind of push those boundaries slowly and, and find those amazing places, then it was just the world is your oyster bed. It's, well, why not? If I can develop a small and safe enough you know, plan as part of the question 
uh, you asked was how do you do it confidently? Um, sometimes you do it really confidently and sometimes you are as humble as you could possibly be. And if you're in a place where you're not confident, um, there's likely someone out there that is absolutely passionate about whatever it is that you want to do that's willing and happy to, to help or to train or uh, throw you a bone, you know, give you a, give you a point in the right direction and help you out. Um, today with access to information and the Internet and YouTube and all these things, you can, you can how-to just about anything. But it takes that step of take a minute to identify what it is that you're curious about and then dive just a little bit deeper and then go meet someone or take that step um, to try it out. And you might find that, oh, I hate sailing or uh, scuba is just not for me. Uh, but then all of a sudden you're going to find a passion of maybe rock climbing. And once you start digging into that vein, there's a world of experience and value there. You know? mm -hmm. And it, I think you bring up a great point in the sense that you're, you're not really alone. No matter where you are, you're not alone. And, and today we have <coughs> access to reaching out to basically anyone with an internet connection, right? Uh -huh. So... Oftentimes I feel like, like even sometimes I'm in a place and I don't feel like everyone is resonating with what I love and what I'm passionate about, but I haven't done my work to actually like go up and, and talk to anyone or, or tell people what I'm doing because maybe I'm just self-conscious about it. But I thought you brought up a good point that if you just kind of put yourself out there, the world will give back to you tenfold if you you know give to it uh, absolutely and you'll never know what things you're really good at that you haven't gotten good at yet until you go and test whether you like them and if they're fun and all of a sudden you know you'll look back in five years and never have thought you'd have uh, tried this or traveled there or eaten this or um, experienced that or whatever and um, it's all about kind of testing the waters that this <laughs> You know, try, I guess it's been in me my entire life to try to, to, to go around the next corner to wonder how that must be. And every time I did it once or twice and had such positive feedback, um, like, like diving, I'd never been underwater, but it always looked so neat as I was growing up. As soon as I was 16, I went out and tested it out. And actually, my first and second dive up in, you know, really, really cold water in a dry suit, very little visibility up in uh, Washington State and whatnot. It's not the tropics. You're not out in the Bahamas <laughs> or Tahiti or anything. Um, it, it took a little bit. It took a little bit for me to get comfortable, and I was like, I'm going to try this a couple of times. Um, and then all of a sudden, it became an unbelievable passion that just got better and better and better. And to this day, I uh, have now uh, been diving all over the world and cenotes and reefs all over the planet, the Philippines, and beautiful places. It's given back a millionfold uh, what it took in just a little bit of patience and tenacity in those first couple of dives. Um, and it's the same to be true. Uh, the first couple of climbs were so difficult uh, to get to the top of the mountain, but the value that that brought and then now a history of uh, 15 years of climbing all over the planet and hitting these summits and whatnot have brought a, a lifetime of enjoyment, experiences, and, and lessons that I've learned. Um, so so I want to I take something that you said and kind of relate it to business and get your opinion on this. So in business... There's always a goal that you're that you're trying to reach, um, or or a project that you know you're trying to accomplish, and execution matters because there's dollars involved. There's there's so many moving pieces and other people involved. So your experience in nature, exploring the unknown, has that translated into any business experience for you? 
where you came out um, on top? Uh, absolutely. I think it <clears throat> echoes back to the kind of the pattern or that f uh, the formula of just kind of trying new things uh, in business, uh, going out and trying something, being uncomfortable, not not being sure uh, what's to come, uh, being patient and, f and planning those goals, having uh, incremental successes that you can track um, has led to all kinds of levels of successes and failures. And um, I think it's really important that people also embrace that um, the journey, yes, is the end. It may take a number of different ways to get there, but how you get to that final solution often is by the lessons you learn from the mistakes along the way. And if you're going to you know, try to build a company and you get halfway or try an idea and it didn't quite work out, your ability to try it and try it and try it again and to learn and not be... Um, you know, petrified by possible embarrassment, or if you told everybody about it and you're worried what they what they think about uh, the the failure that you just had, or uh, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're not proud of the result that's that something, you know, that that came from something, I think um, you really need to apply the same explorative attitude towards you know nature and exploration into the business world, and entrepreneurship, and they go hand in hand. Um, so I personally have, have started a number of companies. I've been in a number of different industries. Um, I've had success, and I think ultimately in the beginning, um, I'm going down a tangent here a little bit, but it's okay. I, I think it started with, you know, selling Kool-Aid at the side of the street with an amazing mother who would uh, disappear and go purchase soda uh, down at the Kmart at uh -huh. 50 cents a can, and then come give it to me to sell for 25 cents a can on the street. And boy, I was making all the money in the world, not understanding the idea of inventory and and goods on, on the stand. Uh, but uh, uh, that led to an amazing experience with a Boy Scout leader who was refurbishing gumball machines and really painted the way um, of passive income and explaining to me investing and compounding. So a uh, buddy and me vouched $150 on a signed piece of paper that felt very, very serious. So $300 total to purchase a refurbished uh, wizard gumball machine. And I uh, got some help placing that in our first store and then tracking how much we made from that. The contract was written, um, you know, the contract. Yeah. Uh, wink, wink from the owner to the to the mentor. Uh, and we wrote it up and it felt official. And we were making $125 a month from a machine that was sitting there while we're sitting in class. And that was an amazing, like, wow, this is kind of neat. It's really neat to leverage and have some passive income. Um, when it came time to pay off the debt, we got a look in the face and it was like, well, you can pay me back and end your business here. And that tells you, you know, how much you'll make a year with this one machine. Or if you'll bring the same amount of money that you just made, I'll allow you to do it again and get a second machine. And we're like, well, you know, we want to kind of make money for ourselves and buy baseball cards and do all this fun stuff. He's like, but remember that now you have two machines, you're going to pay that off in half the time. So instead of four months, now it's down to two months. And then after that, we're making twice as much money. So we still weren't really getting it, but we're like, okay. And we got it, my, my friend, best friend at the time, and I got, you know, got a second machine. And then all of a sudden, we had a third machine. And then when we had paid them all off and we're making this money passively, it started to really make sense that you, you can make money, you can then enjoy fun times with that, all while you're doing whatever it was at the time. It was school, of course, um, along the way. And so I think having that experience really showed that there's, and I learned throughout life, there's a, a thousand different ways to, in this example, earn income. Um, and it's wonderful to trade hours for pay, and that's the fundamentals of good hard work. 
but with a little creativity and being proactive and taking an extra effort, uh, not being passive, not waiting for opportunity to come around, uh, but truly kind of starting to create uh, your own opportunities by searching, using the internet or whatnot, you're going to find that, you know, set your goal, 10 bucks a month, passive income while you sleep. Okay, once you're in 10, you can learn how to make 50. And 50, you can learn how to make 100 to 1,000 to 100,000 um, and on up. Um, and it just takes trial and error. So I think um, not, not every time you climb to the top of the mountain, you see the view you might have been expecting, but most of the time you might. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so in business, uh, applying these and just being willing to um, focus hard, uh, work hard, uh, we have an amazing opportunity to compound, uh, to leverage, to reach out and get uh, help from people. It's just a matter of asking and being willing to take the risk. Mm-hmm. And I... I could see a lot of people thinking right now, like, oh, wow, I just have to ask this person or I just have to make the ask somewhere. But that's that's the tough part for them. Mm-hmm. So how would you suggest to be creative about an ask? I think first is just the fear of asking um, and and pushing yourself to say, okay, maybe the goal is just simply to ask five people about this topic. And... And be humble, because remember that um, people, uh, at least for me, and a lot out there, like we, everyone likes to talk about what they're good at. We enjoy teaching what we know. We want to share, and we want to, uh, especially if we're passionate about it. And so asking someone um, about a topic that they're passionate about, um, usually for them, is actually a gift. And they get a chance to kind of fire up what they're enjoying, what they love, and sharing some of their connections or their successes or what it's it's meant for them. Um, so if you know you're trying to get into a nonprofit world, I have no idea how to start a nonprofit. And you go talk to somebody and say, "Hey, you know, you run a, a theater for the blind here in L.A. And you know what is it um, that brings you so much joy about that? You're going to get more information than you. <laughs> you're going to have a long conversation if you're talking to the creators of those places. And so just being uh, polite, understanding that that people. If you're a dentist, you probably love dentistry. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, you probably are a little more comfortable with the trials and tribulations that come along with starting and failing, starting and failing, and starting and winning and winning it big. Um, and and so learning and just asking people's experience, I, I find that people really like to talk about uh, okay. what they've done. Now, do you have an experience yourself where you were really fired up to get something started, you did it, and then it just didn't work out for you, but maybe you learned something from from that experience? Uh, for sure. <laughs> I won't name <laughs> I specific so. names, uh, but um, I actually uh, made a big choice in college uh, to walk away from some um, very generous scholarships and uh, join a direct marketing company. And um, I love the lessons that I learned from that company. Ultimately, I, I learned far more than I could have ever learned in a class or in a book. Um, I learned um, what was what was true truly uncomfortable as far as uh, not having a salary and having something that was a sales or marketing or risk-based earning income. You had to put in effort regularly to get a reward out, and it wasn't a guaranteed reward. Um, And learning to kind of play in that area comfortably a few hours a week and then building from there. Um, Very quickly, with um, I became a top earner with that company um, and was in the land of flying around and uh, you know, a private jet and sitting with a billionaire uh, and his son, who was my age at the time, um, and starting to see the fruits of, of big company, big money. Again, I came from a very small town and never seen anything 
quite like that, uh, even by college. And uh, from there, uh, ultimately, there were some issues uh, with uh, the firm and some partnerships and some business deals um, that happened and some buyouts uh, where the company ended up uh, going into a Chapter 13 bankruptcy and uh, put us out of business instantaneously. And, you know, at that time, I'd, I'd risked so much. There were so many naysayers, and I'd overcome the challenges of having success in that space and coming out uh, on top right. and feeling like I'd really accomplished something. And then the carpet gets pulled out, and you learn the lesson of, you know, th that there are always exposures. There's always things that go wrong, that things are going to change. And for someone like me that has built uh, things on a fundamental plan, you know, step one, step two, step three, step four, never in there is like some total change comes from right field and takes it all away or changes something, but that's life. And um, you have to learn to kind of embrace that, know that it's out there, and realize that if you just keep pushing forward and, and trying new things and trying business um, concepts or ideas or pushing yourself in any other um, fashion, uh, that you're going you're gonna to come out on top. Um, I think for me it's been a lesson of multiple irons in the fire. If all of your eggs are in one basket and you, you put that in, um, then the risk if that basket dissolves or goes away or gets you know, crushed or whatever in this metaphor, um, then uh, that's, that's risky business. But if you have a number of things that you're trying, if you're con constantly feeding um, good ideas and effort into multiple things, um, you only need one of those things to really work out and uh, keeping that process in mind. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you had your f full experience with the direct marketing company, and you, you learned a lot from that. Where did, where did your thoughts go after that was over? Uh, well, you immediately go into shell shock, oh my gosh, uh, panic factor. <laughs> <laughs> and I Which ended I'm up, sure uh, people can relate with, for yeah, sure. Yeah, like uh, people you know, sometimes go back to school because they're really inspired and they, they want to earn an education. I kind of went back just to have something to say I was doing while I kind of licked my wounds and, and learned the lessons. Um, but what, what that experience showed me, and then when the next idea and the next couple of tries came up, um, is that you're going to be okay. I mean, ultimately, um, yes, there are consequences and there are hard times that come, but um, those trials are what are most important to the long-term success. So um, when you don't have any income, okay, I was living on current income, you know, did I, did I save anything? I'm like, oh gosh, that would have probably been a good idea when you're rolling in, you know, at the time, big money um, mm -hmm. to put some of that away for that just, you know, that what if. Um, it only takes one big loss to realize that you can lose. Sometimes you just think you're indomitable and you're going to push forward and uh, no one can hurt you and, you know, your life is set. But it's like I learned savings. I learned to look in the mirror and pick up, you know, dust myself off and say, hey, okay, there's a thousand other options. I already know. It's hard work, yes. It's all hard work. But once you accept that, it's going to be fine. And it's just like I can apply what, I've, what I know to the next anything. Um, it gave me so much... Uh, I never really knew in that particular industry I'd have so much success. And it wasn't necessarily a product or a service. Yes, they were selling one. Um, it was the process of applying hard work and a, and a plan and goals to that company. And you can now take that into any industry. Um, and I was used to uh, building my own business, you know, doing it by myself, having to get into my mind um, and come up with the plan and the business plan and the marketing, what I was going to do each week. And... Um, that was a huge gift because mm -hmm. it's it's very passive. 
it's never really easy. If a manager comes to you and hands you exactly what you need to get done, that, that work can be very hard. It can take up all your time. Um, but when you have to self-manage and be your own manager, create your own structure, set your own goals, hold yourself accountable to those goals, and also be the person doing the work, um, it's, a, it's a whole different experience. And I think that I learned from there the, the lessons of discipline, um, accountability, self-accountability, working hard, tracking my own success, and then this huge amount of internal trust that I know I can bring my A game and my tenacity and my indomitable spirit. I just need to find the right vehicle to apply it to or build that vehicle myself. So my question to you is when you're talking about vehicles and platforms to apply all the knowledge and everything that you've learned in a previous experience about, how do you how do you decide what those are? And my theory is that it revolves or relies on your passions because I know that you absolutely love finance and wealth management and building businesses, but you also love exploration, travel, and somehow in what you do now, you've been able to work those both into your, your services. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, for me, it started with natural passions. So being, um, being curious and being able to look out just to find a couple of things, whether it was uh, scuba, skydiving, mountain climbing, uh, work, business, whatever. Um, and then I was, I was driven to want to accomplish those. Um, like just out of pure, it sounds really cool or it's going to make me money. Um, and then coming back to start building my world around digging into those personal strengths or desires or talents. Because there's a lot of things like academia. I love academia, but if I was spending all of my time studying and doing things, it may not allow me the freedom to do some of the other things I'm passionate about. So we all have to make choices about how much time we spend where and what that balance is. And I believe personally that if you're going to do something, be excellent at it. You know, put everything that you have into everything that you touch because it has your thumbprint on it, your signature. Um, and even if there's no one else looking, it's between you and the man in the mirror uh, or one in there. And, you know, looking and saying, you know, that, that I've done my best and holding yourself to personal excellence. And so um, it, it's funny because your question is also really difficult because as you go through life, um, some of my passions have changed. You know, the passions that, I, that drove me when I was young sounded really great outdoor exploration couldn't read uh, enough national geographic magazines and was so curious and then it was like well if i'm going to go do that i either have to choose one and become a photographer which is a you know national geographic photographer was something i thought about um but i was like well gosh i like so many of these things i can't just do one of those things because i'd never get to do the others i'm mm -hmm. like okay well if you're a generalist and you want to try and explore these things to kind of find out what the most important one is to you, um, you need to have an ability to do that. Yeah. This led to an idea in business of earning passive income and having time freedom and residual income somehow. And I must have tried 10 or 12 or 13 different ideas on how to do that. And one or two started working out, but I made it an absolute must that I wanted to earn money when I traded my daily hours for work, but also earn passive income and in a, in a way that allowed time freedom. Mm -hmm. Once you have that, 
then you're out there exploring your passions and it's this wonderful battle between, you know, um, I always, so I digress for one moment, I always look at like, uh, again, I'll bring up my mom, uh, but she's a teacher. Her passion was her work and she loved every day going in to do her job and it was the way for her to express and build the legacy that she wanted and she's absolutely loved it. And even our conversations today doesn't regret a single moment. I mean, there might be hard times, but she was living her passion. Uh, in my world, that was a little difficult because I had so many different passions that I wanted to find a way to have my responsibilities, success in business, provide for future family um, and, and you know, be healthy and live and have some extra income, uh, but at the same time not give up these other things. And so... Yeah, for me, um, it was all about testing different systems to build the lifestyle that I wanted for myself and building a life kind of by design as opposed to being reactive. Um, so coming all the way back, I just think it's really important that we, we are proactive about identifying our uh, passions, and our goals. If you don't know what they are, then that's step one. You know, go out and start looking and be curious. Once you find them, dig into them. Because when your emotions are involved, now you find your drive. That's the fuel for the fire. Uh, building out the process, it's going to be peers, uh, friends, mentors, people that can help or walk that path before. Now you already have the fuel for the fire. They're going to teach you how to make it. And then having that endurance to push through uh, and continue to identify um, what you want to build and where you want to go. And it gets easier as it goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and because you start to fuel your, you start to experience these wonderful things. You're like, wow, I'm so glad I've achieved this goal or I've gone in this place. Um, and from there, I think it's just a constant game of adjustments and uh, changing your life around your goals. Um, and as I said, um, as you go through different chapters, maybe the travel in the beginning was the most amazing thing in the world. But once you've been to some of your top places, maybe now developing deeper friendships or relationships or, or serving in a community in one area or, you know, reconnecting with family members or friends that have meant the most to you. You know, you, you might, you will likely change over time and then being able to kind of be willing to be adaptable and make the changes necessary to, to dive into those. Mm. Man, that is awesome. Um, I want to go back for one second and you said uh, you have to be you have to constantly adapt, you have to change, and immediately what popped into my mind is that uh, when you were talking about your peers and asking people and, and getting involved with other people who are passion, passionate about what you are, or you know, doing something that other people have, uh, or that other people do. What about when you're in a society or a culture or you're around your friends and they don't agree? with what you're doing because I know for sure being in direct marketing, you definitely ran into that. I, I, you, we haven't even talked yeah. about it, but I, i for sure know you have. Yeah. When it comes to being a negative 55 degree weather or jumping on, you know, close to 20 foot anacondas in the Amazon or uh, handling what? large critters and creatures or diving in cenotes and uh, Tulum, um, <clears throat> they're just, you know, it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> so uh, what, what I ended up finding is that um, you're going to get both sides and you embrace them. Um, one thing about having so many international experiences and things is that it's not hard to find people in those locations or wherever these experiences are and build great friendships. Uh, they're often not necessarily here. And uh, if you want them again or want to continue uh, to experience those things, they're always out there and you can go get them. Um, here, uh, when I say here, I mean L.A., 
um, there's wonderful things I'll experience here that I'll never experience anywhere else. Um, that is for sure. And, and I kind of use LA just, I'm not trying to pick on it, but, um, you know, if I ask somebody to go camping for the weekend, um, uh, maybe if maybe more than 50% of the time I'll, I'll get a look of, um, you mean in a tent? And I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's because, Hey, it's, it's, it's sunshiny. You know what I mean? Like I grew up where every camping trip was a wet, soggy mess and it was cold. And once you learned to still find the silver lining, it was a great experience. But, um, and then a lot of people, um, we, we are, I'll, I'll defend LA. There's so many wonderful people here that are, are so outdoorsy and so, you know, rock climbing to adventures or hiking to whatnot. You're going to find the other, but uh, to answer your question, um, I think that I respect everybody's individual passions, um, and and to to your note of this podcast, how extraordinary they are in whatever those things are. And I have found that not everybody, in fact, most people, the more you get into whatever you're most passionate about, and it gets more intense, people are going to drop away. You know, some people might be interested in astronomy, and they might make a trip once in their lifetime to an observatory. But if you really geek out about Einstein's theories of relativity and get into like really you know deep stuff and how to impact space, you might lose a lot of people. Um, that's okay. And I think surrounding yourself with um, new people gives you a chance to share what you're excited about. And maybe one person out of 10 is going to jump on that and you get a chance to kind of ignite that fire in them. Um, and then also going into those uh, surrounding yourself uh, with people that do have common goals or common interests, defends yourself against feeling alone and by yourself uh, in that world as well. And so for me, what I I may go down to the beach and have a great session of volleyball and ask a bunch of friends to go do something crazy, and they'll look at me and be like, haha, that sounds like a Keith McBride adventure. Um, we're going to let you do that, bud. Uh, I can go to the Explorers Club, uh, which I'm part of, and I've been on the board of directors on here in L.A., and I can be around people that every single one of per the people in that room would have been like, oh, my gosh, that sounds awesome. How can I help? Or, or that's crazy. You know, how are you going to pull that off? Or where are we going to go? Or where do we get started? And so it really depends on where you are. And uh, I, I really love my, exp my Explorer Club partners uh, for that, and I also enjoy sharing my passions with the people that may, this might be a first experience for them. And, and even more than that, I love knowing what people that aren't doing what I do and aren't passionate about what they're passionate about. And kind of, that's a chance for me to maybe let them know who I am, hear what they are. And then I'm usually the first curious person to be like, Hey, I'd like to see that. Can I try it? Can you take me? No. How about next weekend? <laughs> that's so funny. We could totally relate, totally relate. Um, I love what you said about, you know, really embracing Embracing others, even if they, they don't agree with what you're doing, because in the end, if you have negative thoughts or intentions towards people who don't like what you're doing, well, it really doesn't serve you. It doesn't serve you at all. Um, so em embrace the fact that, you know, it's okay that they don't like what you're doing or don't agree with it and keep moving on. Keep finding, you know, the people that are out there that do, that, that are about what you're doing because they are out there and they will help you continue into uh, progressing in whatever you're doing. Right. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about the Explorers Club. What What is the Explorers Club? Um, so the Explorers Club uh, is an organization um, that's been around, and I don't quote me on specific. Sometimes my memory is, you know, uh, lapses a little bit, but I believe since 1906, um, some of the world's most amazing uh, expeditions, uh, first to the North Pole, to the South Pole. There was a flag that was the first mission uh, that went along with the first mission to the moon. Um, and the club is organized around um, really bringing to light 
uh, during all through all these eras, um, expeditions and supporting explorers to uh, search the world, search the um, archives of history by being in certain places and whatnot and discovering, uh, documenting these things. Um, and they do it through a process of uh, papers and reports. Um, there's a lot of expeditions, you know, maybe 150 in a year. About 10% of those uh, will have a flag that goes along and the, and the flag is numbered and it usually is themed. So if there's like a underwater expedition of s searching, a, a ship, the bottom of the Mariana Trench, uh, a new cenote that's going to be, you know, we're searching for a lost city or connection to a bigger cenote or whatever, a water-themed flag will have its history written from all the people that have taken it throughout the years to these different places around the world. And, um, and if you apply for and are lucky enough to have one granted, you get to take that same flag, physically that flag, with you on your expedition and add to its uh, history. Um, and it's an organization that is trying to inspire the continued exploration into new frontiers, uh, which would be like Elon Musk is a, a member and a number of um, very high profile people that are exploring space and uh, travel and uh, energy and a uh, gentleman that uh, was the first to take a hot air balloon around the world and then did it with an electric all solar plane. Um, just incredible people um, all the way down to that young, thirsty, a brand new next generation explorer that just wants to learn and be around uh, people that are thinking like that. And um, whether or not you're, you know, searching forward thinking to Mars uh, or realizing that, you know, we just finally this year uh, got a submersible to the bottom of each of the five oceans for the first time. Wow. Uh, I don't say we as if I got credit, but to us as humanity, that there is so much under our, our feet today and so much history. Um, a partner, Steve Elkins, uh, a friend and member of the club uh, here in L.A., found the lost city of the White Monkey God in 2016. Um, huge book about that, and it's led to the formation of Kaha Kamasa, which is a uh, organization for the next hundred years of exploration and conservation of lost cities throughout all of Honduras. Um, that, that today, like just in the last year or two, have been uprooted and found for the first time using lidar and information. It's it's so incredible, and it and it really gives a platform. The Explorers Club gives a platform to connect with, to meet, uh, to read about, to go in the field with and to join and be part of um, all of humanity's exploration. So, Wow, that is so cool. Um, how did you get involved with the Explorers Club? Um, I had actually a number of different friends, and at the time I was dating somebody who knew about the club, and uh, uh, when we met and had so many common um, interests and whatnot kind of out in the world, uh, it was something we wanted to have access to. And uh, so she initially had said, hey, uh, we should take a look at this. And then the big barrier came up. Well, we haven't written a white paper, and um, we don't know that we've got anything to add to the archives of history yet, but we're young and we're ambitious. And so with, with effort and visiting the club and meeting with them, uh, we were able to navigate our way to full membership. Um, we started visiting New York, where the headquarters is at, uh, attending events. Um, and so it was really kind of, for me, an organic introduction just through sharing my interests um, out with my friends and that kind of, the more you do the things that you love, the more you're gonna meet people that come out of the woodwork that love to do those too. Uh, one of those was her. And then that led to our common desire to get into uh, an organization um, that kind of focused again towards uh, maybe more crazy people like us, if you got <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, you know, we were looking, we knew there were more people out there doing something that loved to do this stuff. And with a little bit of research, uh, yeah, you can find National Geographic. Uh, they're all over the world doing uh, amazing adventures actively today. You know, go look it up. And the Explorers Club was one that came to surface.
That is so uh, neat. Yeah. Now, to be a member, do you have to have something on your resume that is like outrageously extraordinary? Like, I, I have summited Everest eight times. Or no. <laughs> can it be like, well, I kind of just work in the middle of L.A., but I really want to explore and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Having not sat as the, the head of membership, I, I won't uh, say that I, I, I'm qualified to maybe answer all the, the flexibilities of the answer. but That um, is fair. More yeah, fair. There, there are people that are given uh, or they're requested to be members um, where they're kind of, um, they've already done something uh, so incredible that the club would just love to have them amongst the, the ranks and be part of that organization. Um, all the way down to kind of applying, and they'll allow you to kind of be a pre-member um, of the club um, and explore and get into subjects and meet people. Um, it, it Really, it, it takes a couple of sponsors, so one or two people that are members of the club um, that say, hey, you know, I'm, you have a passion. I see you're an up-and-comer. You, you have a passion to share that. Um, you want to be part of this organization. Uh, so through an application and having a couple of sponsors, you can apply to the club and they'll let you know, hey, we think that um, you're well on your way and we're going to wait until there's like a student section so you get discounted, you know, costs and whatnot if you're, you know, in a place where you're a new and upcoming next generation explorer. Um, and then uh, it may be you do uh, add something through joining someone else's expedition or you do, you know, hit a certain level of a degree or a, a white paper on a topic that uh, they deem is, uh, you know, valuable and that you brought something to the club. And for us, we had a high interest in um, scuba diving and being part of reef restoration. And we were um, just really, really lucky to be invited to go out and be part of some cutting edge technology uh, for reef restoration down in Curacao. Um, and being part of that expedition, and it happened to be a flag expedition. Uh, so they were doing a full write-up on it, a report. Um, as a member of that group, um, it allowed us to uh, add to the kind of the archives of science and exploration enough to become full members. And so, you know, everybody wants anybody who's interested to be part of it. We just also want to make sure that we're, you know, doing things and um, and adding something uh, to the world of exploration. So I, I cool. think anybody with any interest should certainly reach out, uh, connect, and get involved because it just opens a million doors. That is awesome. Yeah. Um, you also brought up a white paper. What What is a white paper? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, yep. Yeah, again, definitions I may not be. Um, so the way I understand it as a white paper is, um, you, know, you know, research or uh, your study of a topic um, that has um, similar to maybe not as intense as somebody writing a thesis, uh, but a, if you're going to get a PhD, you come up with a new area of interest, a new concept, you do research, uh, you quantify it, you try to, you know, of course, you do it within the archives of correct research techniques and whatnot to come out with something that is a result, whether it's what you expected or not, um, or it's on a topic, or it's ethnography and a search into a culture. That, you know, it's something where you've dove in, uh, in and, and collected and gathered uh, information. You've taken the time to sift that and edit it, mm -hmm. put it together and publish it um, so that others can either use that for continued research or learn something from that. Um, so the way I understand it's just a, an official um, uh, paper or topic or research on something that you've been published and that you've really attempted to do some of that hard nitty-gritty work um, that others may have not done in a certain area and publish that and make it available. Very, very And we'll cut that whole point cool. out if uh, it's totally the wrong definition. No, no. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. if, uh, I think we're on track, though. We need to cut that out. You know, <laughs> just let me know. But... Um, 
that's that's really neat. So there is a there there is an educational point to every expedition. It sounds like every every trip there is a a larger there's there's a larger objective to than than just you know let's go check this new place out. It's like really let let's educate ourselves about it and you know show the world as well. Yeah, I think innately um, the explorer's heart. There's always the side of we want to be there, we want to see it, we want to touch it, we want to understand it, uh, we want to learn from it um, or figure it out. Uh, but usually right there, if not equally, it's just right underneath it. We want to share that information and, and allow others to see and touch and feel. And I think that that goes down to our core you know, as humanity. If you, if you found um, the lost city of Z, for example, yeah. uh, and you could, you know, share it with the world and tell people about it, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. w would you really want to go find the most amazing, most beautiful bird in the entire planet that no one had ever seen and keep it a secret? <laughs> uh, and some people might say yes, but, uh, you know, for us, it's like, well, you know, I would love to touch the bird and see it personally. Um, if I didn't, I would still be really super excited to have been part of that process mm -hmm. and get to learn and see something. Um, and I'm so excited about looking back at all the people uh, that have come before us that have made that available, that have taken the time to, to pound a hammer into stone and lay down some words or, or to write and rewrite things before the printing press came out that, um, you know, I, I'm just, to, to sit where we are today on the shoulders of so many lives and so much hard work, it's a, an honor to sit in a plane and chase a sunset across uh, Greenland for four hours, uh, knowing that, you know, the Wright brothers would be you know, going nuts to be sitting, well, they'd, they'd get the window seat, but, uh, oh, for <laughs> you know, sure. put, putting them <laughs> to see that, you know, that, that there's so, the human uh, nature and exploration is so exciting uh, to me. And uh, just to be part of that and share whatever p part of that process uh, for me is just a really big gift and a blessing and I'm excited about. Yeah, you can totally tell. And I, I mean, I'm just getting that feel off of you when you're describing it. Um, what have you, wh what expeditions have you been a part of? Where Where is the Explorers Club taking you? Yeah, I think the Explorers Club has been really uh, one of the irons in the fire, uh, mm -hmm. per se. So uh, I've with them, I've had an opportunity to um, do a project down in Curacao where we're diving and taking uh, sound recordings of a reef and then using some amazing technology, not developed by, by me, but I'm, uh, of course, another member in the club, um, analyze... Uh, not just the volume of sound, but the type of sounds and species and whatnot um, that are present in that recording. Uh, and yes, the volume of them uh, as well, but to understand the health. And then using that, they can say, hey, this reef is uh, uh, growing. Uh, this reef is dying. This reef is endangered. Uh, it's perfectly healthy. Um, and it was really with an effort to impact citizen scientists to go around and say, hey, you too could take your kayak um, and you could you know, go out 25, 30 feet, drop this microphone down into the ocean uh, and send that recording in. And we would know exactly how the health is of your reef in the world. And as we get better through science at, at building the type of species, what can exist and putting these, you know, futuristic kits together or efforts together to go out, uh, we learn an awful lot. And so now you've got citizen scientists that are involved with worldwide you know recordings that can just drop it in and add to the archives of science in such a massive way and give so much intel to then trying to save the reefs of the world so that project was a really really fun to see analyze be in the water um, that was an incredible expedition 
Um, I was part of leading one myself that we proposed uh, down and partnering with Paul Rosalie, uh, Jungle Keepers, and Tamandua um, down in Los Amigos River Valley and Las Piedras, which is um, Peruvian Amazon. Oh, wow. Um, and so you come in through Lima, go to uh, Cusco, drop into Puerto Maldonado, um, drive for a number of hours, jump on a boat, head up river, um, and be really a day or two away from non-contact autos. You know, the people that have not engaged with Western culture, they haven't come out of the jungle. We're trying to respect and keep it that way. Um, and there's an awful lot of activity in those regions of um, deforestation, issues with uh, illegal logging, illegal gold mining and stuff that are really detrimental to the area uh, of South America. So the project down there was to um, catch anacondas, uh, which Paul is really the, the leading person out there in the world for sure that's willing to go out into the jungle with, you know, 10 people into the swamps. And um, he's an amazing leader. I've had a chance to do it with him for weeks. Uh, and seek out and be patient and find these anaconda uh, safely, as safe as possible. Uh, wrap your arms around a, you know, a, a long, big snake. And, uh, and then the idea of this particular expedition was um, to put a GPS tracker uh, with a licensed vet, with all the proper you know, things being taken in, is, is um, following all of the, I would say, integrity of science and whatnot, um, to put a geographic locator uh, just underneath the scales of the snake, giving us three years worth of data versus feeding it to them where they only have maybe 45 days to adjust a track and it would come out. And then to um, take a scale, one scale with us to analyze for the presence of illegal, uh, well, mercury, which would say illegal gold mining is happening in this region. And wow. um, that the leftovers of some of the larger companies that are uh, looking for oil down there, there might be some not so uh, savvy leave behinds. And if it's polluting and killing uh, the animals in the area, the anaconda is the top of the food chain. And so anything that's eating anything from the bottom up will result in uh, having that inside of that animal. And they're very territorial. And so that particular expedition was um, trying to map the very first times of getting a GPS locator into a large alpha predator, seeing their territory, analyzing you know how healthy they are, and then doing everything we can to dump attention, um, conservation efforts, uh, monetary gifts, into buying up concessions in the jungle hmm. where at 35,000 hectares or 60,000 hectares, you can go in and buy a strip of a river that might have 10 or 12 branches that come off of it. And for very little, you can hire, um, very reasonable, but, but for us in our terms, a low monthly salary, you can put people at the heads of each of those branches on the main river. Now they're gainfully employed doing something for conservation, um, and they're not out chopping down trees to support their family that we want to be still remaining in the jungle. And they can also help uh, patrol who's going up and down river in that region. And so even though you might only get 35,000 hectares, you can preserve or conserve a huge massive footprint uh, by making strategic plays. And so that was something where um, being on those expeditions, oh, amazing experience I recommend anybody do. Um, and um, I'm not here to promote his business I mean, but as a as a client and as one that went down to join that and be part of it on this expedition um it was absolutely breathtaking to touch nature be part of it and and put your hands on uh what it is that you can conserve and make an impact with um so those were two of probably i'd say the top two of uh, the expeditions that i've been on and enjoyed wow um i think i've got to ask the question did you actually like physically grab the anaconda 
Uh, we've there, there's many anacondas. <laughs> so, or or uh, yes, yes, many we many we, we've definitely uh, got a chance to to uh, be around all si not not only anaconda, but um, there are pygmy caiman and wonderfully large spiders and um, you know crickets the size of I don't know probably a large tangerine or large plum. I mean everything's just wonderfully large and, and neat. <laughs> but but part of the expedition, the experience with their team was that um you know, if I saw a very large tarantula crawling around on the floor or an anaconda it wouldn't be my first inclination to run over and grab it. I might photograph it or see it, but when you start to understand how to properly, you know, handle these animals, if you can handle them, um, and engage and touch and be part of, of nature and know the rules of you know, what's venomous and what's not and how to behave to where you're not stressing them out, but they're engaging with you, um, it really opens the door to being able to have a relationship with so many things <laughs> down there, which is incredible. So, uh, yeah, we had a chance to, um, to, to engage with all kinds of wildlife, including the anaconda, which is amazing. That is so neat. Um, when you are engaging with these animals, I know for a lot of people, like some of their biggest fears are touching a, a snake or touching a spider or being even in the presence of, of one of those. Mm -hmm. Did you ever find yourself in, in the mindset of like, okay, okay, I've really like got to dig deep here and get through this because that thing is massive. Yeah. That is a big spider. And I can't freak out right now. Yeah, I think that there's you, you get a myriad of everything. Um, I'm remembering a situation where we had a, a pygmy caiman uh, crocodile, and you get little baby caimans. And some of those things you learn exactly kind of how to safely uh, approach the animal and, and, and get it in your hands and whatnot without hurting it, without it hurting you. Uh, in those moments, it was just pretty much you, you knew how you did it and you did it go. Um, I, I'm recalling the uh, moment that we found a an elderly but very large uh, tarantula in the jungle. And I, I think if somebody would have said, oh, this is my pet um, and uh, it doesn't bite, that would have been a really nice thing to know. I probably would have been easier engaged with it, knowing that it was like, oh, no, this is out in the jungle under a log. And you don't know if it's the first time they've even interacted with anything about humankind or whatnot. And really quick, just for perspective, uh -huh. take take the side, take your hand, like, is it bigger than your hand? Is oh, it like about twice the size of your hand? The size of your out, your entire palm if you kind of open it up to all your fingertips. So I use two hands to balance the body fully open of uh, this particular spider. And um, I, I would feel a little braver had I been the first person to, to race in and be the first one to pick it up and hold it. Um, of course, to support some of the other people on the expedition and not to cut in line. I, I allowed one or two people to do it before. Of course. Uh-huh. I mean, because. Like gentlemen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when nothing went wrong, uh, it was, <laughs> it was certainly a little bit easier. But yeah, you're definitely, um, I found that, you know, people sometimes will try to equate uh, exploration or some of these crazy experiences as an adrenaline junkie. Um, sometimes there's adrenaline. Most of the time there's not, you know, most of the time. Uh, you're dealing with you know, maybe a little bit of fear. Uh, sometimes you're dealing with just pure curiosity and you're just so excited to try. Uh, so there's a myriad of experiences and I don't think you need, I mean, adrenaline junkie, sure, there's going to be all sorts of crazy ways you can put yourself and make yourself feel uncomfortable on edge um, to get that result. Um, not really what I've noticed from a lot of people that are out there. They're curious. They're just like, wow, if I, if I had the opportunity to hold uh, this particular maybe type of wild cat that we just... Um, 
haven't seen or like the short-eared dog which is just an animal we know is out there but it's years to try to even photograph one i mean they're just really hard to find well if you find it you know you, you want to be part interact and see and just take that moment in and so um yes i think um, if you're if you're afraid to do something you certainly don't have to if someone who can teach you how to do it is there um it's a, it's a real blessing because I know that when I was there, I, I didn't necessarily have all the information about what types of snakes would behave in what way or what types of, you know, creatures or critters or, or whatnot. We found so many things in night walks throughout the jungle and whatnot, but having wonderful people there to be like, oh, this is one of the coolest things. See this and interact with it and know that that was safe. It was a great introduction for me to what is the Amazon jungle. And if all of a sudden I, you know, I'm starting to feel stings in my feet, I'm being hit by army ants or fire ants, it's not like, oh, those darn things were after me. No, they weren't. It's likely I've stepped on their trail or I've interrupted them in some way. And having people there to help, you know, you uh, learn from those mistakes and explain kind of what the rules of the land are, make that experience amazing. And I just encourage, you know, anybody um, to say, hey, again, we're taking a small risk and take whatever level of risk you want to take just to be there to photograph or be around it just getting on the plane could be a huge step for someone to go down to a new place um, whatever that is um, find a way to take those incremental little steps and uh, go try it out and yes sometimes you'll experience pure joy other times you might be a little nervous other times you might be just flat out afraid um, and manage those as they come cross those bridges when you get there of course and then you also learn from you know, that, that whole experience as well, right? I mean, you know, holding a tarantula the size of your hand, you, you can't really live that until you've lived that. It's, you can't understand yeah, it's that amazing. until you've done that. Yeah, yep. Yep, they're truly, and that, and that goes hand in hand with just the rewards you don't expect coming. You know, I went on that trip not knowing what to expect, um, and there were a hundred more examples of just incredible things that you learn uh, about the jungle about animals and like that's where kind of growing up on the movie medicine man where i knew it was important and the jungle you know it was a beautiful place and there was some science saying there are so many species and there could be cures to everything which is uh, i believe all to be true um i'm i'm re seeing it on a movie you know or reading in a book yeah when i'm down there touching it and engaging and i'm my breath is being taken away at the beauty of the morpho butterfly and um, the eye shine and the different colors that when you wear a headlamp at night and you stare out um, into the jungle, uh, if you see a small marsupial, like the equivalent of a raccoon or a possum, it'll have a different color of eyes that shine back and it's off their retina. And then you can, you'll start to say, oh, that's a butterfly 50 feet away because you can see the orange of their eyes. Um, or that's a spider and you can see almost a diamond rainbow reflection that comes sparkling back um, and you can tell that uh, from... A very far distance and so like I wouldn't have ever known that had I not gone down to the jungle I read hadn't read about it in any books uh, at that point in time mm -hmm. and then being down there to experience it it opens up a whole world of just awesome things man what yeah. an experience man that is awesome it's been fun um, I want to switch gears a little bit but kind of still st stay on track uh, Mount Everest what does Mount Everest mean to you Mount Everest, to me, in the beginning, kind of just represented the most amazing, cool thing, and so far out there to touch goal 
that I had seen somebody accomplish that seemed so amazing and cool at a young age. It was just kind of the apex, um, all of exploration wrapped up into one big goal. And it's the highest mountain. It's the iconic thing um, uh, to do. And it was a you know actually a full lifetime almost or half a lifetime away from where I was as a child um, of an ambition. And at the time, it was just simply that. Get to the top of that and you've accomplished it. Um, over the years as I trained and done the mountaineering that I've done and been on expeditions in mountains like Denali and Aconcagua and breaking, you know, 20,000 uh, feet and above and even, you know, whatnot, it's, uh, it's shown, it's, it's become much more to me. Um, the friendships that I've built, the things that I've learned, um, having felt the cold, having sat in the tents during the storms, having built the most amazing relationships with my climbing partners and those special moments there's just no way you could ever replicate anywhere um, with these experiences I look now at, at Everest as almost having still not gotten to the top of it and plan to here uh, hopefully in 2021 22 uh, it's on our roster um, it represents kind of a pinnacle or a climax to all the wonderful things I never thought I would ever learn or experience before I even got to the summit. Mm -hmm. um, that there is an entire cake, there's an entire layers of frosting and wonderful flavors and w to all of you know mountaineering and the lessons, um, the experiences to get to the point to be able to actually climb that mountain and get to the summit that by the time that you're there, um, it's not that anything's been taken away, it's just like, gosh, that goal led to so many wonderful and amazing things I never thought of. I'm just, thank you for being there, thank you for being, um, a driving ambition, um, a pinnacle thing to shoot for because I had no idea when I began what all of that entailed to get there. So mm -hmm. um, it'll be uh, really, really amazing to stand at the top of, of that mountain and not only for just being there and uh, having a chance to experience that, but to look back and to be climbing uh, with a, a gentleman that was a porter of mine um, that we hired then became a guide uh, for one uh, crazy trip up Aconcagua um, and now as a partner that I hopefully get to go to the top with. Um, it's just a true appreciation, a majestic um, moment in life and something that uh, will not only be neat in its time, but will reflect the past to a lifetime of uh, learning to get there. Now I want to break it down a little bit and, and compartmentalize what it takes to prepare and ultimately climb Mount Everest. Everyone knows about it. If you don't know about it, uh, well, you're about to find out. <laughs> but, um, let's talk about mentally. What, where do you have to be mentally or how do you get yourself mentally ready to hike the most dangerous uh, summit that's on planet Earth? Um, well, and I'll, I'll digress a little. Uh, um, Everest certainly has its challenges and its dangers. Um, it, I would say something like K2 or some of these you know, other very less popular climbs um, are much more dangerous, but um, mm -hmm. I'll give it the fact that it, um, culmination-wide, there's some massive challenges that, the, that the, um, the mountain provides, and we are talking about the highest mountain, and so physiology and things make, make it very dangerous. Uh, right. But I think that... Um, in every Thank you so much for listening to the first part of this epic conversation between Keith and I. 
Now, this conversation was so good, I had to break it up into multiple episodes. So, if you're ready and you want to learn more about Keith, who he is, and his epic adventures, please move on to the next episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope I was able to provide some insight and some knowledge that will help you expand your mind and ultimately your life. Now, you've already done more than enough by listening to the podcast, but if you want to go above and beyond and really help me, you can subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is for podcasts. This will ultimately help me grow, and that's what we're all about here. So I am really looking forward to the next time that I get to spend time with you on the podcast. And until then, stay extraordinary.